0: This is the Tribune Audio Network.
1: This is the Backstory Podcast. I'm Larry Potash. On this show, we uncover the backstory behind some of the most intriguing tales in history, culture, science, and religion. In this episode, a historian gets a rare look inside the Royal Archive to read King George's writings about the Revolutionary War and I take a trip to my hometown of Boston to walk in the footsteps of history. This is the Backstory. (music) King George III and most leaders in Parliament had never set foot in the colonies, and seemingly had no idea how willing these farmers and shopkeepers were willing to fight for freedom. Rick Atkinson is a journalist with the Washington Post. Queen Elizabeth granted him permission to examine the King's archives.
2: Every day I would show up at Windsor Castle and I would show my badge at the Henry VIII gate and my badge again at the Norman Tower, and there are
1: the papers. There are 350,000 pages. Most of the documents haven't seen the light of day since the king put quill to parchment.
2: He wrote everything himself, he made the copies himself. It's a very tactile sense of being in his presence and he's a much more interesting guy than the king we see mincing across the stage in Hamilton every night.
1: (laughs) Also into why he's waging war as uh, intently as he is. Building an empire is costly, and the king's documents give us insight into his mindset.
2: King George III, our last king, uh, was convinced that if the American colonies were permitted to slip away, then the Irish would follow, there'd be an insurrection in Ireland, and then the Sugar Islands in the West Indies, and then Canada, and then India, and that it would be the end of the new British Empire.
1: That's why the king is so willing to fight. He sends his army and naval ships thousands of miles across the Atlantic, The British are coming. British General Thomas Gage is in charge of Boston and plots a secret mission capture Sam Adams and John Hancock hiding west of Boston in Lexington, and confiscate cannons in nearby Concord. What they did not know was
2: that there were far fewer Americans who were loyalists, loyal to the crown. They did not know that Americans would not be cowed by armed attacks against them.
1: And the Patriots have their own intelligence. Many historians suspect the spy is Gage's wife, who is American. Silversmith Paul Revere is a key member of Boston's Rebel Network, and each night members view the Old North Church, waiting for a signal. As the sexton, Robert Newman takes care of the church. British soldiers insist on using Newman's home nearby for their quarters, so Newman has to sneak out of a bedroom window to meet Paul Revere outside. When they get to the church, Newman and Captain John Pulling Jr. climb these stairs.
0: So we will be quite literally walking in the footsteps of history next by following the path that uh, Robert Newman and Captain John Pauling Jr. would have taken on April 18, 1775.
1: All right, I'll let you go first. T.J. Todd leads tours at the Old North Church. The rebels plan one lantern if the British regulars are leaving Boston by land, or two lanterns if by sea. The signal comes April 18, 1775. So, T.J., how many lanterns are they carrying?
0: So they'd be carrying two lanterns in total, uh, most likely one each. That's a big reason we think it was two people that took the lanterns up that night instead of just one. Who
1: is seeing those lanterns?
0: So across the Charles River in Charlestown, there was a network that Paul Revere had set up ahead of time. Those in Charlestown see the lanterns, they tell some others, Paul Revere tells some others, and as many as 30 to 60, it's estimated, riders set out that night. So not just Paul Revere.
1: So why does Revere get the glory?
0: In the 1850s and 1860s, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was looking to write a poem trying to more or less unite the country under a common figure, but also uh, as an abolitionist to make the, the argument that one person can make a difference in the fight for freedom.
1: One if by land and two if by sea, and I on the opposite shore will be, ready to ride and spread the alarm through every Middlesex village and farm for their country folk to be up and to arm.
0: By sea really means by crossing the Charles River. For poets, it's a little easier to rhyme by sea than by the Charles River.
1: Revere's network sees the signal, but so do the British. As they pound on the front door, Pullman and Newman look for a way to escape.
0: The only other real available escape route was through the back window. The Newman family legend has it. They jumped through there and escaped into the night.
1: Revere makes it to the Charles River, where a rowboat is waiting to take him across. But he realizes he forgot some cloth to wrap the oars to muffle the sound. You see, they have to sneak by a British ship keeping watch in the river. So one of his patriots goes to a girlfriend's house. She throws down some flannel underwear. They wrap the oars, and Revere makes it across the river safely. Revere rides and yells, the regulars are coming he doesn't cry the British are coming because the Colonials consider themselves British subjects. Soon church bells begin to ring. You can hear the sounds of gunshots and drums warning the countryside that the Redcoats are on their way. Revere arrives in Lexington to warn Hancock and Sam Adams who are staying in this home, which is owned by Hancock's relatives and still stands today. When daylight comes, redcoats march to nearby Lexington Common. The Colonials were waiting here at the Lexington Common, now known as the Battle Green. They didn't have uniforms and they carried their own muskets. Captain John Parker said, don't fire unless fired upon. But if they want a war, let it begin here.
2: Much larger force comes upon them. It's Not clear who fired the first shot, but a shot was fired, and then the British began firing by uh, volleys. Very undisciplined on the part of the British. Their officers are running around uh, or on horseback, yelling, cease fire, cease fire. takes a while for that to take effect, and by the time it's over, there are eight Americans dead, ten wounded, two British soldiers lightly wounded.
1: Atkinson says the Battle of Lexington Green is not a battle, but an execution. And that first shot is not the shot heard around the world. The British continue to conquer to search for munitions and march to the Old North Bridge. It's not the original, but it looks now as it did then. The Colonials are waiting.
3: But the ones who died here were, they were from the town of Acton.
1: Park Ranger Roger Fuller says Lieutenant Colonel John Buttrick's orders are to fire only if fired upon.
3: That's a very serious order to give your people. You're telling essentially your townsfolk, your neighbors, your relatives, to fire upon their own government's troops. Gee, what could possibly go wrong here? There's either a very large psychological disconnect or people are just so angry about what is happening that they felt they have no other way to solve the problem but to reach for the cartridge box. They've had the ballot box and the soapbox taken away from them by acts of parliament. And it's taken 10 years for this to happen and it's about to explode now.
1: This time, we know who fired first, the British. In the end, two colonials and two redcoats were dead. colonials, British subjects, fire upon their own government's troops, and this becomes known as the shot heard round the world, made famous in this poem. By the rude bridge that arched the flood, their flag to April's breeze unfurled. Here once the embattled farmers stood and fired the shot heard round the world. A poem written 50 years later by Ralph Waldo Emerson, who has a connection to that historic moment, That home next to the Old North Bridge belonged to his grandfather. Nearby, a memorial for the two Redcoats killed at the Old North Bridge. Soon, the British are outnumbered. It's a running gun battle out of Concord as the Redcoats retreat east back to Boston.
3: Where it's now urban warfare, house to house, room to room,
1: very bloody. The Colonials realize this is heading beyond local militias. They need a Continental Army. The Americans see it that the British are the aggressors,
2: that they fired the first shot, that they killed innocents. It's more complex than that. For one thing, it builds sympathy in Britain for the Americans. It also inflames the rest of the colonies. And that's important for getting people to rally to the cause of what has been a local insurrection in Massachusetts until this point.
1: As the decades pass, each generation of Americans tells the story to the next, with twists and embellishments that corrupt the historic record. 50 years after the British massacre colonials at Lexington Green, the story starts to sound a lot different.
3: After a lifetime of hearing, what'd you do in the war, Grandpa? Saying I ran for the British, which was a smart thing to do, doesn't resonate very well with little kids who've been brought up on tales of Yorktown and Trenton and Princeton. Here we realize that the past is a very complex place as well, and we present in all its complexities. We don't sugarcoat it. Here it is, folks, the good, the bad, and the ugly.
1: And that is what Rick Atkinson is doing. The British Are Coming is the first volume of a trilogy about the American Revolution, a movement not just built on cannons and muskets, but ideas that guide us even today.
2: There's still much to be discovered. Like all great events, the American Revolution is bottomless. People will be writing about it 500 years from now.
1: Thanks for listening to Backstory. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe to our podcast or leave a review. To watch our full coverage to this story and see some that didn't make it to the podcast, visit us online at wgntv.com/backstory.
0: a production of the Tribune Audio Network.